0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, let's take our Bibles now, if you would, please, and open them to Matthew chapter twenty. And it is always a great pleasure to open our Bibles to the Scripture. And we have one of these texts again today that I think is really just thrilling to the heart because it speaks to us of the wonderful gift of salvation that God has given. Now, one of the clearest teachings that we have from Scripture is that we are lost in sin and that we are estranged from God. And we tend to think of ourselves as pretty good people but we're not friends with God. The Bible tells a much different story that without him, we aren't his friends. And we should be very curious about this, that looking at the Bible, in the very first few chapters as the Bible begins, it turns its attention to this great problem that man has. Now, it started out, of course, with a good God who created man perfectly in his image, and gave man all things to enjoy, a God who gave him life, an unending life, should man continue to obey and love him. But there was a problem. Adam chose not to obey God, and so he fell from his holy state of innocence, and he became a test case for the entire human race. Because Adam fell, because Adam was guilty. Now, all of us are guilty before God. Now, we don't stand responsible for the sin that Adam committed, but Adam's sinful nature has been transmitted to us. But we notice that God would not let Adam stay in that sin, but he provided a way that Adam could be received back into fellowship. And that is what we call the grace of God. Now, Adam was undeserving of any consideration from God, and God was under no obligation to help him. But because God's nature is kindness, and because God is gracious and merciful, he provided a way for Adam's forgiveness. And the Bible is the story of how God did this. As we go through these next chapters of Matthew, we're getting close to the time when Jesus will go to the cross and all of this great outworking of the plan of God will come to its full fruition as Jesus goes there to die and hang for our sins. And the Bible, as I said, is the story of how God did this from Genesis to Revelation. It points out the helplessness of man and it tells us about God's graciousness. And yet for all the goodness and the graciousness of God, man still has a complaint against him. There are complaints about God's fairness. There are complaints that God is inequitable. There are complaints that if God should choose one, then he's obligated to choose all. And that's the very complaint that the Apostle Paul took up when he wrote to the Romans. And he wrote this in Romans chapter 9. He said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form, say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. And so Paul very simply says, who has the right to complain against the creator? Why should anyone say, God, why did you do this? Or, God, why did you make me the way that you made me? There is no one who has the right to complain against God because God does not owe us anything. Well, that is the lesson demonstrated in the text that we have before us today. Uh, Jesus told a parable in which he showed God's absolute sovereignty in salvation, that God does what he pleases, when he pleases, and what he pleases is always right. Now, if you look at the end of the 19th chapter, it says, Jesus speaking, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that statement is illustrated by a parable that Jesus gives in chapter number 20. Now, would you stand with me, please, as we read God's word? We'll look at Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number one. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, "'Because no man hath hired us.' He saith unto them, "'Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive.' So when even was come, the lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, "'Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. When they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more." And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden, the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree for with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask you, Lord, to open up your word to us. Help us to understand what you'd have us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When I first started studying this parable, I I ran into the usual difficulties that you have when you're trying to figure out what a parable means. Uh, The meaning of it seems to be fairly simple, but when you read what other people have said about it, they claim that there are all kinds of hidden meanings that are in in almost each and every word of this text. And this is the way parables are often treated. Uh, They're often distorted to... Teach things that Jesus never intended. There are people that say there are all kinds of hidden meanings in what Jesus said in the parables, and those hidden meanings that people claim that they're able to bring out actually become the source of many erroneous doctrines. But I think the best thing for us to do is to just look at this text and to gain our insight by studying the reason for this parable, which actually comes from the material that we have uh, in the previous chapter. Now, we do notice that there is a central theme that's very easily deduced because Jesus mentioned it three times in the course of 17 verses. In verse number 30, at the end of the 19th chapter, he said, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then in the 16th verse of the 20th chapter, he said, so the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. And then in the middle of this parable, it says in verse 8, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now what we have here is a parable about salvation. And if you put all of these verses together, you can see that God is the one who decides that God is the one who calls, that God is the one who sets the order according to his divine sovereign plan. No matter how we think that things should be done and what we consider to be fair and what we think is agreeable, God is always right and God will always treat us justly. So let's see if we can just break the parable down and show how that Jesus illustrates the sovereignty of God in salvation. First, we look at the components of the story. Verse number one says, For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now, parables are stories that are illustrations of truth, and they always have some sort of a real-life situation with a, a corresponding spiritual meaning. Now, parables often have several parts, as this one does. And what we have to do is take the components of the parable and, and just put them side by side according to their spiritual counterparts. And that's what Jesus intends for us to do. Because he begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And from there, he goes on to give us an illustration of some aspect of the kingdom of God. So looking at this, what are the different components? parts of this parable. Well, first of all, we have a householder. We have a householder. He is an estate owner. That householder represents God. And then there are laborers that are in this story. The laborers represent those who have been called to salvation. Then there is a place for the laborers to work, and the place where they work is the vineyard. And the vineyard represents the world or it can represent the kingdom, the sphere, the place where we work for God. And then going further into verse number 2, there's a time period. Here, the time period is a day, and the day represents our lifetime. It represents the time of our life when we have been called by God that God leaves us in the world for the time of our lives to do his service. Fifthly, there's an amount of pay for the laborers, And the pay represents eternal life. Now, the pay is when we receive our calling, and we're very careful uh, or what we receive for our calling. And we need to be very careful to note here that the pay does not indicate that we work for our salvation. And that's brought out very clearly by the amount of work that was done and the amount was paid was not the same. And then lastly, there is a payment. Uh, Time of the payment rather and the time of the payment is the evening and the evening is Eternity the evening is the end of our lives when we leave this world and we go into the afterlife That's eternal life that has been promised by God to all that he's called to salvation So that's an overview of the parable. It's a picture Uh, God has called a variety of people to salvation. He calls them to use their lives in service for him And the time of life that God God calls them is his choice to make. And then at the end of their lives, no matter how long their lives are or how short their lives are, God gives them all the same promise of eternal life. Now, secondly, we look at God's call to salvation. As I said, it's a parable about salvation. So we want to look at God's call to salvation. And Jesus illustrates it by the householder, going to the marketplace to find laborers to work in his vineyard. Now, remember, we've just given you this, that the householder represents God. In those days, there were people that had jobs, regular jobs that they would go to just like you do. They would show up at the same job at the same time every day. They knew exactly what they were going to be doing. And so they would be there every day for their work. But there were also different types of laborers, a different type. There were day laborers. These are people that would be looking for work every day. And they didn't have a certain job to go to, but they would go into town and they would go into the marketplace, and there they would wait around for a landowner to come, for an estate owner to come, and he would come and hire them out for the day, and at the end of the day, they would receive their wages. Now, I understand that the same thing happens in Santa Rosa. Uh, I hear that. Uh, Maybe Larry can confirm this. I believe I heard him talk about one time about laborers up on Fulton. And you go up on Fulton, and you can pick somebody out there to, to do a job for you, maybe for a day, maybe for a couple of days, and you hire that person to come to work for you. Well, that's the same picture that we have in this parable, that these men, they go into the marketplace, and they stand around there, and they wait for someone to come and hire them out for the day. Now, in the case of this householder, he owned a great estate, and so he went to the town center, and there he found laborers to take into his vineyard. And I think you can easily picture that part in your mind because of all the vineyards that we have in Sonoma County, and I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't uh, vineyards that do this very thing, that they may go and pick up laborers up there and take them into their vineyards to work. So this is what the rich man did. He went and he found some laborers and he contracted with them. He promised them a certain wage and he hired them to come and work in the vineyard. Now, there's a couple of important elements that we need to note as we go through this story. The first laborers were hired at the beginning of the day. Now, according to timekeeping of the Jews, the beginning of the day would be about 6 a.m. Or the beginning of the day corresponds to sunrise The end of the day is about 6 p.m. or uh, about the time that the sun sets. Then other laborers were hired, and they were hired at different times during the day. Some of them were hired at the third hour. That would be 9 o'clock in the morning. Some were hired at the sixth hour. That would be at noon. Some at the ninth hour. That would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then there were some that were hired at the 11th hour. That would be 5 o'clock in the afternoon or very, very close to the time for them to quit. And then it's also important for us to note the rate of pay. Now, our English translation uh, of this text was made 400 years ago, and um, it says here in our English text that these men received a penny a day. Now, owing to the value of our penny at this time, that doesn't sound like a very fair wage. In fact, we would probably report this guy to wage and labor board and tell tell him that he's a cheat. He's over there working these people like slaves for nothing. But it's also helpful for us to remember that being made, a translation being made 400 years ago, that money was quite different than it is now. And so what this is actually referring to is a denarius. And a denarius was the cheap silver coin in the Roman Empire. And that was a very fair wage. That was a really good wage for a day's labor. That was the same amount of money that would be paid to a Roman soldier for his day's work. So the, the workers were willing to go for that. They received the wage. They gladly went. They had no problem working for this man for that amount. Now, let me show you what that represents. When the householder went into the marketplace, that represents God calling sinners to salvation. Now, you notice something about these workers that they didn't leave early in the morning to go looking for work. I mean, they didn't walk up and down the road, and they didn't go visit the many farmhouses and talk to landowners and see if they could get a job. They didn't do any of that. They just went into the marketplace, and there they waited for someone to show up to hire them. And for some of them, the day was almost gone before they actually got there. So they weren't really looking for landowners. They weren't visiting farms. They weren't trying to to find a job in that way. Instead, the only way that they could get hired was that the householder should come looking for them. And what does the Bible say about man's desire for God? Well, the Bible actually says that man has no desire for God. The psalmist said, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And that describes the problem that I gave you at the very beginning of the sermon. This is the problem that God deals with with man, that none of us are seeking him. Paul repeated the same in Romans 3, verses 11 and 12, and that's just the way that it is with all people. There is none of us that was looking for God. We already have our God. Our God is self. And we're not about to go to work for a God doing things that the rest of the world thinks we're crazy for doing. And you know that. Since you became a Christian, haven't you met people that thought that you were just totally out of your mind for spending your weekends at church worshiping God? Don't they think that you're out of your mind for bringing your money your tithes and offerings and giving them to a church when you could use all of that money on yourself? People think it's foolish for us to do this. And you can go out here today. I'm kind of staring out the window and it's not not a clear window, but I can see the shadow of cars going by every now and then. And I'm sure if you go up there and you stand on the corner of Country Club and Expressway, if you stand there for just a few minutes and you'll be able to count hundreds of cars that are passing, they go by this church and they go by our parking lot, they never give a second thought about stopping here to see what's going on inside here. They're not interested in what God is doing. In fact, what they're doing is trying to avoid God at all possible. They're not going to stop in here. And you know that this landowner, he didn't go and hire these laborers because he was well acquainted with the work that they were able to do. He didn't hire them because he knew that all of them were such good laborers. No, he just went and got them. And this is what God does in salvation. He just comes and gets us because he decided to do it. And so the call of salvation comes from God. You don't call yourself... And you ought to be exceedingly grateful that God came looking for you because he could have left you just like he did all of those out there now that are driving up uh, beside the church here. They have no concern for their souls. Be thankful for this, that God in his sovereign pleasure chose you and brought you to salvation. Now, I want you to consider thirdly today God's compassion on the sinner. Now I like what the householder did because he went out early in the day to hire laborers and I suppose when he first went out that he collected all that he wanted. He took these men and they agreed with him for a fair wage and he brought them into his vineyard to work. Now there are some who say that the householder discovered later that he didn't have enough men to do all the work that needed to be done. And so he came back at nine o'clock. And then he came back at 12 o'clock, and he still didn't have enough. So he came back at 3 o'clock, and he didn't have enough. And so he came back at 5 o'clock, and he didn't have enough. I don't see it that way. I don't think that's the, the reasoning behind the householder's thinking. I think that the householder went back because there were men that needed to work. I think he went back there because he had compassion on these men that needed a job, that needed to feed their families. And so he went back at 9 o'clock and back at 12 o'clock and back at 3 o'clock because he was so interested in bringing more people into his vineyard, into the field that could work for him, that he could give them the opportunity that they would have what they needed. Now, we know that he couldn't have been driven by the money that could be made. He wasn't driven by that because he could have hired all of these extra men at a lower wage. And they would have accepted a bargain for their time because they came in at a later time in the day. And so the motivation for the householder can't be the desperate need that he has for laborers. It can't be his great desire that he can make all of this money because he could have made a whole lot more money by just paying a fraction of what he had to. So it seems to me then that he had compassion That he put their needs above his own. And isn't that the way that God is? Didn't he give us his own son because he had compassion for us? None of us could have added to God's wealth. None of us can make God any happier than he is. God's completely self-sufficient. Do you understand this? God does not need us. God does not need us. We need God. God can never be obligated to us. But God does this because his character is, he is compassionate, he is loving, he is merciful. These are all God's character traits. He has love for lost sinners. I'd be thankful that he had you in mind when he determined to solve Adam's problem. He could have left you right where you were. He could have left you to die in your sins. He could leave you to die starve spiritually just like these men without work would have starved physically if he didn't do something for them then they're helpless they're hopeless they're going to starve to death and so the householder went back and he saw all of those men standing idle in the market he didn't need them but if he didn't do something for them they will die and so he did something for them that's the kindness of our god But do you see, though, despite the kindness and the graciousness of God, people still have a complaint against him. And here we see in this story that there are those who complained against the householder. Now, fourthly, then, is our complaint about service. Now, at this point, the story starts to heat up, and we have to observe a little bit more closely what's going on. And so this takes us to the heart of the story and the reason that Jesus gave it. The problem here is the amount of wages that were paid. Now, the first group that was hired early in the morning, they were the first to go into the field, and they were hired at an acceptable wage. They were hired at a wage that they thought was fair. They readily agreed to it. They happily agreed to it. But then when the time came to pay them what they had agreed to, they weren't happy. And what the householder did, he instructed his steward to pay the men, And the men of the town would have known the character of this estate owner, what his reputation was. And this is why the people that were hired later in the day never bargained for what they would receive. They left it up to the landowner to pay them and they fully expected that he would give them what was fair. You remember seeing that in verse number four? So they never said, now now, just hold on just a minute. Before we're ever going to go work in your vineyard and work for you, we need to get this thing settled how much you're going to pay us because we want to be sure you're going to treat us fairly. Now let me show you in just a minute why that's so important. So it came down to the end of the day and it's time to pay them. Now one of the subtle things, subtle points of this passage is the way that jesus incorporated the law into his teachings now jesus did that often in the sermon on the mount to remember how jesus said that he would always uphold the law and haven't i told you that one of the most important things that you can do to understand the teachings of jesus is to learn the ten commandments why because the Ten Commandments undergird everything that Jesus says. The law is underneath Jesus' teachings. And we see it come out here in just a subtle way. Now, according to the law, in Leviticus 19.13 and also in Deuteronomy 24.15, the time to pay is at the end of the day. Now, you may think, well, that's, that's a minor detail. Does that really matter? Well, actually, it does matter because that also is a demonstration of God's compassion. That he would not let the children of Israel hold on to the pay of a man who needed it and just hang on to that till he decided to pay. No, when it came down to the end of the day, the man expected to be paid and he was to be paid. Leviticus 19.13 says, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him the wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning." Deuteronomy twenty four fifteen, and his and his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be a sin unto thee. So God's always dealing in compassion, there's always fairness as he deals with his people, and the law of God reflects that. And so the end of the day comes. And the end of the day represents the end of our lives, and that's when we're ready to go into eternity, and God will always be just and fair in his dealings. Well, those that were hired at the beginning of the day watched as the wages were being handed out, and they were required to stand there and watch the steward as he handed out the money. Now, they had to do that because if they hadn't been required, they would have left, They would have already received their money. They would have left and they wouldn't have seen what happened afterwards. And so so then the whole point of the parable would be ruined. So they're told to wait until last and they'll receive what they were promised. So they're required to wait. They waited for their pay. They watched as the steward handed out the money. And when he did, they were taken by surprise. The men that were hired at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, those hired at the 11th hour received a denarius for only working one hour. And the text doesn't say it, but we assume that those that came at 9 o'clock and 12 and at 3 also received that same amount of pay. And so the men that were hired early watched this, and they assumed that because those hired at 5 o'clock in the afternoon received a denarius, that they ought to receive more. Isn't that natural? Isn't that the way we think? If a person comes and works one hour and receives one denarius, then what do those receive that work 12 hours? Well, they get 12 denarii, don't they? That's the right thing to do, it seems, I mean, I don't know of any factory that would work this way that people that come in at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and just saunter in at quitting time punch the clock and say, give me my pay and everybody gets the same thing. That doesn't happen. And this is why we have the lesson. It's a lesson about, not about what you earn, not a lesson about what you earn, but a lesson about what God gives in his sovereign grace. Now, we have to wonder, why did Jesus tell the story in this way? Because even in those days, what he just said didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, they didn't even practice that in their day. So why would he tell the story in this way? Well, this is where we have to back up and go back into chapter 19. Now, remember what Peter's question is in chapter 19, verse 27. He said to Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee, What shall we have, therefore? Now, we looked at that last time, but we're going to take another peek at Peter's motivation for this question. And there are two, three, four, five great truths that come out of this, but let me just show you a couple of things that come out of that question that Peter asked, and why Jesus told this parable right after. Now, first of all, as we think about it, what was the contention that was taking place between the disciples? Isn't their question always this, who is greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, were they asking, well, who outside our group compared to compared to our group, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Are they comparing who's outside and who's inside? Well, no, they're interested on what's happening on the inside. Which one among our group, this group that you've chosen, which one of us is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Wouldn't it be the ones that... Now, think about the parable. Wouldn't it be the ones who came in first? Now, who are the ones that came in first? Well, the first one who became a disciple was Andrew. Andrew went and found his brother Peter. And those were the first ones that became disciples. But if you look a little bit further down in the chapter, you'll find that along there about verse number 20 that here comes James and John, another set of brothers, along with their mother, and their mother asked Jesus, can my son sit on one side of your throne, on the left, one on the right, and can they have the greatest positions in the kingdom of heaven? And the other disciples were angry about that because here are two disciples that leapfrogged them. They weren't in first position, and so they shouldn't get first place, and that wasn't that didn't sit very well with the other disciples. The, the ones who should get the highest position are Andrew and Peter, not James and John. And then there's another truth that comes out of it. What about the Jews versus the Gentiles? The Jews are God's chosen people, and what had they done? Well, they lived under the law. They lived under this very restrictive code that God gave, a code that separated them from all the other peoples of the world. And they worked hard and they labored and they stayed under those commandments of God. But they weren't upset about it. Well, they loved the separation. The Jews loved the favored status that they had. They loved being different from the rest of the world and being told that they were God's chosen people. But you know when the Jews became very unhappy? They became unhappy when Gentiles were brought in. And you know what they said? Oh, the Gentiles are not required to be circumcised. The Gentiles don't have to respect all the dietary laws that we live under. The Gentiles don't have to go through all the rites and the rituals and all the restrictions that you've given us. The Gentiles don't have to do any of that. And the Jews said, now wait just a minute. That's not fair whoa 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 wait a minute and that's what we see in verse 12 of our text these last have wrought but one hour and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and the heat of the day Or they said we've worked all of this time we put in our time and now you've brought in these upstarts and you've made them equal to us And you notice they didn't say, now you brought us down to their level. That's not what they said. They said, you brought them up to be equal with us. And so what are they saying? God, you're not fair. It doesn't seem right. The hard workers have been in there for a long time, and they should not get the same as those who have been brought in later. Now, remember a moment ago, I said that verse number 4 is very important. Those that were brought in late did not bargain They trusted to get what was fair because they knew the reputation of of the householder. Now, doesn't that make Peter's question in 1927 seem somewhat impertinent? Doesn't he trust Jesus to do what he said? Why did he even have to ask this? Now, in one sense, Jesus was okay with the question. Remember, he said, "You, you, you, you gave it all, and so you'll get it all. There are definitely rewards for service. But then he comes right back with this parable and he says, but hold on just a minute, Peter. Don't get too big for your britches. I give as I please and I give what I please. Salvation is all of the Lord. Now, hold on just a minute because there's just another truth that comes gushing out of the passage. Notice fifthly, our contentment with the salary. What is it that God promised us when he saved us he said i will give you eternal life now when it comes down to the end of your life we're here at the end of the day as the parable says what do we get well we get our denarius we get exactly what we bargained for god never shortchanges us he never says well you didn't put in enough time you haven't worked long enough Now, there are rewards for different length of service and value of service, but eternal life is not a reward for what we do. And that's shown by the workers that came in at 9 and 12 and 3 and at 5 o'clock that when they were given a denarius, that was a gracious act of God. They didn't earn that. Now, let me set up a scenario for you that that we see all of the time. I was saved when I was 7 years old. I've been in church all of my life. I've never had a time of terrible backsliding in my life. I've been teaching the Bible since I was 18 years old. I've served as a music minister, as a deacon, and as a pastor. Every day I spend time in God's Word, and I've been doing that now for over 50 years. What do I get when I die? I get eternal life. Now let's suppose that someone calls me, And they say, my mom is 85 years old, and she's in the hospital. She only has a few hours to live, and I know that she's not saved. Would you come and talk to her and give her the gospel of Christ? And so I go to the hospital, and in those last few moments of her life, I tell her about Jesus, and she believes. Then she quietly slips off into eternity. What does she get? I came in at seven years old. She came in at 85. I came in in the first hour, and she came in at the 11th hour. But what did she get? She gets eternal life. Now, do you think that I ought to begrudge God because he gave her the same thing that he gave me? Look what the parable says. The householder says in verse 13, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree with you for a penny? So do I begrudge God because he's kind and merciful to an 85-year-old woman to give her the very same eternal life that he gave me? God hasn't done me any wrong because he does that to her. He saved me by his mercy and his grace. So the landholder says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And you know what that is? That is the last coming in first and the first coming in last. And that's the same thing as saying that we all are equal, that we all reach the finish line at the same time and in the same relationship with God. And folks, that's the very thing that I can offer you with the gospel that God does not ask you to make up for lost time. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you trust Jesus Christ, you receive the same grace of God and the same eternal life that I receive. And the reason that you do is because neither of us has earned it. God is gracious to us to give us what we never deserved. He came looking for us. Remember, we weren't looking for him. Oh, well, What does that mean? Does that mean, well, you can just uh, wait and you can live it up and you can wait until the 11th hour in order to trust Christ? No, the parable doesn't teach that. You don't know when the 11th hour is. Nobody knows. Those that came in at 9 and 12 and at 3 and 5, they didn't know that the landowner was going to return for them. And you don't know either. And, folks, the same thing is true here that the Holy Spirit, when he is here now and he calls you now, you had better go with him now. And you can't say, well, no, God, I don't think so. I I think I'll wait till the 5 o'clock group. When you come back, then I'll go with you. Well, I don't think the landowner would have returned for those at 5 o'clock that that refused to go with him at 9 o'clock. He didn't say to them, okay, well, you hold on, I'll be back. And then you can't say, you know, I think I'll just wait because I'm going to get the same thing as them anyway. Now, do you understand this, what Jesus is trying to get across to us here? It's his to give. It's his to give when he gives it. And he gives it according to his sovereign pleasure. Now, you know another interesting thing about the way that God works? Peter said, what do we get? Shouldn't we get more? Well, there was another apostle that was called at a later time, and this apostle actually outshined all of them. Now, he said something very interesting about apostleship. He was talking about how he was called to an apostle, and as an apostle, and he said, he said, first of all, the first one to see Jesus when he rose from the dead was Peter. And then he said he was seen by the twelve. And then he said he was seen by above 500 witnesses at once. And then he says James saw him. And then He said, at the very last, I saw him as one who was born out of due time. Now that apostle was Paul. He ended up doing, as far as we know from reading scripture, more than any other apostle did. We read about what Paul what happened in his life, we saw, what, we see what he went through. Second Corinthians, he talks about persecution. He talks about shipwreck and about prison. He says that he suffered pains in the flesh. He had some kind of physical ailment that he had to live with that just caused him trouble every single day of his life. But he remained faithful to God and just kept on working through all of it. But on the other hand, there was a thief on the cross who just a few minutes before was mocking Jesus. And then in the 11th hour, at the very end, he turned to Jesus and put his faith in him. And you know what Jesus said he could have? Eternal life. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, you know what would happen if we were in charge of things? We have a gracious God, but if we were in charge of things, our selfishness would create a heaven with all sorts of class distinctions. Our heaven would be one where those that get in first get to move into the mansions because they got there first. Isn't that the way things work? You get there first, you get the best, and all the rest that came in late get to live in heaven's ghetto. And that's what heaven would be to us. But that's not the way it is with God. The first are last and the last are first. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a free gift of God that God sovereignly gives to whom he chooses. Paul said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? That's the God that we serve. And that's the one that you've got to get used to serving. He does what he wants. He does what he wants, when he wants. And you know what Abraham said? He knew all of that. Abraham said, shall not the judge of the earth do right? Of course he will. You trust him. Put your faith in him. And see if he doesn't do what's right all of the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great story that we read in your word. Jesus has a way of illustrating that we just can't miss the truth of it. We're thankful, Father, that you have given salvation. We didn't deserve it. We weren't looking for it. We never would have given a second thought unless you came looking for us. And you called us out and you made us your own and you gave us the highest prize that we could get. We get your own blessed son to save us from our sins and then you promised we could go to heaven and live with you. I just pray, Lord, you'd speak to some heart today. Help them to realize what your son has done for them and may they bow before you today, receiving him as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this time that we have together. Speak to us, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California,